Thanks for choosing this podcast from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. I hope you learn and grow and reach new heights in Jesus throughout. Afterwards, take a look at churchtoledo.com. Maybe you want to hook up with us in some way, partner, share, serve, give. Uh, Love your neighbors right where you live. God bless you today. coming up Sunday, August 29th at the Stevenson Residence. With that, we're planning a cornhole tournament, and so we're going to start forming teams of two to play cornhole. We're also going to have volleyball set up. We're also going to have chicken on the grill, and so we're asking folks to bring a kind of a side dish, that kind of thing, to fill out the meal. So we appreciate you do that. you got plenty of notice running the whole church. If there's somebody who's in the church who's not here, make sure to get the word. Uh, and we will get together and have some fun as a church and celebrate what has been an amazing, if somewhat trying, but God is good. He has helped us overcome our challenges summer. Praise God. All family fellowship, August 29th.
Amen. All right. He definitely uh, deserves our adoration. We come to that moment in time. We didn't do all that much of this last week because we kind of had the can't do can report. What have you been reading in your Bible? What have you seen? What have you heard? How has the Lord been speaking to you? I see one hand so far. I see another. Okay, go here, then here. Go. It feels like my life has changed. Ever since I got so close with the Word of God, so much closer to all my life has been changed in a lot of this ways. God is good, isn't He? Good words, okay? So, for those of you who don't know, me and my family went camping over the week, and we had a good time, it was a lot of fun, we did a lot of cool stuff, boys fishing out on the lake, um, but we also had a couple of issues, one being which, on Wednesday, we had a really bad storm come through, so we were out on the lake fishing, and I saw the storm coming, I'm like, ah, it's still far enough away, we can wait a little bit, and then I saw a lightning bolt hit, so I was like, nope, okay, that's it, time to go, I was like, I don't want the kids here, it's like, let's just go, and... We get in the van and it starts raining. Well, we outran the storm back to the campground. But what we didn't outrun was the main frontline winds. Well, those winds were probably 70 to 80 mile an hour. They were extremely strong winds. And we get there and our tent collapsed. And me and my wife, like, just threw the car in park, jumped out, told the kids to stay in the car because I, for their safety, I just wanted them to stay in the car. And... I honestly didn't know how much help they would be anyways because they probably couldn't do much. And as we were trying to get the tent back up, it starts pouring. And, I mean, this is like sideways, like, sting your face, pouring rain. And me and her are just sitting there like, <laughs> what do we do? And there, a couple of the people from across the street saw us pull in, so they ran out and helped. And... As we're, we finally get the tent back up, and we're inside of the tent, and me and her are just standing there like this, with our hands up, holding the tent, as the wind's trying to knock it down, and we're just standing there, sopping wet. The inside of our tent got soaked, mostly because me and her were just so wet. And all we did was we just started laughing at each other. Like, <laughs> this is the dumbest situation ever. And we, like, usually that is the kind of thing that would just set me on edge. Like, I would have, I don't know what it was that day. I'm, my best assumption is that was 100% God. Because that is a situation where normally I would have been angry, I would have been cussing, I would have been mad because I was soaked, I was tired. It was really hot before it started raining, so I was already out in the heat. And... When we're standing there, when we were standing there, me and her just looked at each other and we just started laughing. Like, just laughing, like, hysterically, too. Like, this is so stupid. And, like I said, the only thing I could think of was that was that was God. Because, like I said, that is a situation where normally I would just get very angry. Because, I mean, who wants to come back to the campsite and have their tent collapse? I had to go chase Zoe's bouncy seat because it was rolling away in the wind. And I was like that far from falling into the lake to catch it, and it was just so much chaos, and all I could do was laugh. <laughs> to me, that sounds like perfect picture of 
someone weathering the storm, and on the other side coming out with joy. The only joy that God can provide. So. <laughs> yeah, I would. Uh, I put that one in the record books. And the next time you're going through something difficult, just remember how you felt when you're holding the tent up, soaking wet. There's also that's another one. Jason, the first time we were there, Jason, we had a storm coming through. He's laying in his bed, pale white, like this, against the tent. Just <laughs> <laughs> because the wind was blowing out the tent. Nice. All right, anybody else? So I uh, was reading in Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, and uh, so I already had a good, thought I had a good grasp on grace, but this just opened up my eyes all the more, and I want to share it, and um, so I know that the good definition of grace is unmerited favor, stuff we get from God that we don't deserve, Yeah. so I was reading in 5, 20 and 21, and this is what it says, the law came in so that trespass would increase. But where sin is increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I had this little picture in my mind, I was seeing as I was reading that, how say that we got a throne in our heart, and before we receive that grace, sin used to sit in that throne, and it had power over us to caused us to do even more sin and we walked in like the power of death but when we believed in Jesus sin was dethroned off of that throne in our heart and Jesus sat in that throne as grace so now we don't have to be condemning at all just like the Bible says in Romans he said there's no law against mercy and there's no law against compassion so even if we feel like somebody needs judged and we walk in that grace anyways we still show that we're doing what the Lord wants us to do. And I just, it just helped me understand grace all that more, that I don't have to have any burden on me of worry or doubt, even because that has to do with sin. Sin causes death and worry and doubt when we're walking that. That just tells me that, hey, I'm, I got the wrong person on the throne in my heart if I feel that way. So it's like I got to do like a self-check and, and, and see the Lord sitting on the throne in my heart. And then everything else is just covered, if you say, by the light of God's grace and His love. Alright, anybody else? I'll share one briefly, it's pretty short. Um, so, day before yesterday, Ariana and I were going to play the monster launching game. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but it has a stand-up cardboard monster, and it has these little orange and uh, red, orange and paint bouncy monsters and you shoot them through the mouth of the other monster, basically some big monster and little monster. And you have this little shooter thing that you use. And we're gonna play it first is the way you gotta get ready for bed first, so we gotta get the vitamins out, and, you know, she has a cup of milk and has to go through a routine. While we're doing it, she said, Well you know, we don't have to count the monsters if we, if we don't want. We're gonna play a game, but we don't have to count see who wins the see who wins the gets the most monsters in first or whatever. Right? We don't have to do that. And I said, well, if we don't count the monsters and we don't compare, then it's not a game. And the Spirit said to me, pay attention to that right there. Sometimes we get into the counting. The counting becomes important. We count butts and seats. We count people who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We count uh, how much dollars we're able to give or if our bills are okay. Or we, we start looking at the practical, specific details of our life and we, are we winning or are we losing? 
And here's the reality. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're winning. You could be in the midst of the worst of moments. You could start getting frustrated. You could be struggling to understand. You're like, I can't believe this storm is blowing this tent down. Stop and wet. I got Whatever. Just remember in that moment, it's not a game. It was a war. And the war has already been won in Jesus Christ. When you start counting, it's very dangerous. Think about it. David was told, don't count the people. He went and count all the people. And what did God do? And a horrible disease, right? So there's a time to count, and there's a time not to count. When is the time to count? The time to count is, okay, the Lord told me what to do. That's one. I did it. That's one. The Lord told me what to do again. One. The Lord did it. I did it. That's one. The Lord told me what to do. Oh, wait. I didn't do it. One. Zero. That's the contradiction. Right? The Lord tells us what to do, and we do it. Count one at a time. That's how you count Actually, we should be sharing the gospel with everybody. And then not, by the way, you could share the gospel with somebody, and they might pray to accept Christ, and you count them as one, and you're wrong. You don't know. Right? They could say whatever. They could say, they could tell you you're accepting Christ, or whatever. You don't really know. You can hope. Right? You just don't really know. So that's not really the time to be found. God says, share the gospel. Share the gospel. That's one. That's one. Match them up. That's it. Don't need to count any higher than that. Because we've only got this minute. Counting the past, that's regret. Counting the future, that's worry. And we don't do either one. So the Lord spoke to me on that. I like to play games. Games and the war for souls, too, and things. Praise God. Okay, Brother Rob? Um, I'd like to share a song. I'm sorry, I know it's going kind of long. You're all right, you're all right. The song, um, I've heard it probably 50 to 100 times already. And never looked at the lyrics. And I finally looked up the lyrics and I started bawling my eyes out. Because I've been in this exact situation countless times. And uh, it's about a man who thinks he's looking for God, but doesn't isn't looking in the right places. And uh, I, I think you'll see it in
Okay. <laughs> Praise God, I got the opportunity to be in worship today. Nice. Jesus is king. That's a fact. All right. So, I got two things to get out of the way before we go to the text. The first is just a kind of an explanation. Uh, today I'm going to talk about something I thought the Lord was leading me to talk about specifically out of a specific verse. I have preached this a uh, couple of paragraphs before, uh, not all that long ago. I don't know when. I didn't go back and look it up on the podcast or anything. Uh, but the Lord led me specifically to a verse today to teach me something that I didn't understand previous to this. It's not something I didn't see before. I didn't understand it. I always have kind of had a question about it, and so the Lord led me to it, and then I felt like it kind of blossomed as I studied it into the sermon that I was supposed to bring today. So just a couple of warnings. The first thing is that I'm not going to say everything about anything today. Okay? So when you listen to this and you hear a few points in there and God really speaks on it, I am not going to be able to say this is not a topical sermon, so I'm not going to tell you everything about any one of these things that we're going to look at in this text today. So if you want to know everything about it, you're going to have to get that from God. I imagine it's going to take you a while. You're going to have to study, read some other verses, things like that. I cannot say everything about anything that we're about to look at today. It's not a topical sermon. Secondly, I cannot say something about everything. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today is a little bit narrower in scope. It's going to address kind of three specific pieces, all coming out of that one verse. I cannot touch on everything that's out of there even, let alone everything that there is. This is not a sermon like that. My, one of my first sermons at East Little Baptist Church, I preached a topical sermon on the Holy Spirit. It took an hour and 45 minutes. Some of you may have been around, remember that back in the day? It was a little too long. This is not like that, okay? So there's nothing, I'm going to say, not going to say something about everything even that's in here. So this is not everything that these verses get to, let alone everything in the world. But I'm going to say a few, I feel like very, 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 I, I could probably put a bunch more varies in there, important things about a few very important things. One of those things that we will get to is so important that if you don't get it at that time, and if I hadn't got it when I was looking at it, I feel like you are stranded without a certain powerful piece of the gospel that may literally make you essentially um, handicapped as a Christian. It's that powerful and important. I didn't get there by myself. All glory to God. I feel like this is something that we need to see. We individually and corporately need to see. So I'm asking you to put your thinking caps on when we go into the text today. Okay. Second thing I want to do is I'll make sure that we we have a uh, a group understanding of three things. Okay. So the first thing is, do you know what a mailing list is? Does everyone know what a mailing list is? It's a list of names, uh, and we call it a mailing list because it's owned by somebody, and they're gonna they can mail to that list. Some of the mailing lists that people use are very old; they've been around for a long, long time. We get mail for Judy Bolton. In fact, we regularly get credit card applications from my wife's mother who passed away a number of years ago. Regularly get credit cards. We get uh, mail at my house inviting my dad, who is over 70 years old and has lived in Tennessee for over 20 years, to my dad to join the AARP, which is a retired person's association and usually get those mail in like your 50s. Okay, So they, this, this mailing list that they have is so old that they don't know that my dad is in his mid-70s. But what you may not understand is that mailing lists are accomplished by selling addresses to whomever and then they assemble them to be whatever. So the reason they're using a mailing list that's that old is because they either got it for free or they bought it a long, long time ago and they haven't bought a newer one since. 
Well, we purchased uh, one mailing list over the years for New Heights, and it was of people that had moved into our area around the church building, and there was a hundred names on it, and it cost about a hundred bucks. So your information, your name, address, and like that, is readily available to anybody because you have filed documents with your name on it, public documents. They can get it, but to assemble it into a mailing list gives it value. Okay, so we understand what a mailing list is and sold addresses. The second one is, do we know what crowdfunding is? It's a term you've probably heard. What crowdfunding means is that we take it, you take money from a lot of people to achieve a certain number. So like GoFundMe is crowdfunding, and you basically reach out to your friends, your family, and then hopefully they share it, and it spreads, and hundreds or thousands of people see it, and they all give you a little bit of money, and it becomes enough money to do whatever it is you're trying to do. Some people have been very successful in that. Uh, there's a... a, a um, a platform out there for creating new games, which has been super successful, called Kickstarter. Okay, not only games, right? There was a guy who uh, patented a new form of dustpan and put it on Kickstarter to get money. And basically, people get money. And and at Kickstarter, they figured this out. If you get something out of it, you're more likely to support it, right? So you might support a game or a product as long as you get a game. When the game is actually produced, you get a free game. And what's so funny is they will act, you might support it for 50 bucks. They'll give you $200 worth of merchandise. Like, how can they possibly do that? Because lots of people support it for less money. And the more money they get, the more they can produce. They come out. What happens is they eventually produce the game for no cost whatsoever and can give it to everybody who supported it at at least a certain level and still come out ahead on the deal, literally have profit sitting in the bank after they've produced everything for advertising and like that. So crowdfunding is a very powerful source of income where lots of people give a little bit and it winds up being a lot. Okay, so bear that in mind. And then the last thing is, and this one is less known to people, it's a term that became common in the last roughly 10, 15 years. What does it mean to monetize a website? Anybody know what that means, to monetize? All right, Ron, go ahead. Basically, uh, get paid for providing content on that website. Yep. Advertisers pay you or something. Correct. Okay, so your website is up. Everybody that visits your website, your advertisers pay you a little bit. Very little bit. Like if they just see the advertisements, a very little bit of money. But thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. So it might get 10 cents, right? But if you have a very popular website, then 100,000 people see it, 10 cents, that's $10,000, right? On 100,000 people. So they get a lot of money because a lot of people see it. You do YouTube, for example, people watch videos on YouTube. The website, YouTube pays the money because YouTube does all the advertising. So they pay it. They handle it. And YouTube makes billions, literally, of dollars doing monetizing people's YouTube. So when you put your videos up on YouTube and only 15 people see them, you don't get paid nothing. But YouTube still makes money. Right? So we, we are being monetized in that sense. Everything that goes up there uh, is monetized. And YouTube is getting money from their advertisers just for seeing the ad. Somebody clicks through the ad to the website, even more money goes to the advertise to the YouTube or the owner of it that's been monetized. And if they click through and then buy something, even more money goes to YouTube or to the people who are making the site. Okay? That's what it means to have a monetized website. So all the time that you are on the internet, which you don't pay for, you are making money for somebody. Alright? Bear that in mind then. And then as we uh, go to the text today, maybe give me a little amen or somebody say boom. Second Peter chapter two. Boom. boom. Alright, this is God's Word. I believe that even as we read this very simple text, 
the evil spirits and demons that might have come to surround us or pick on us today a little bit or come with our temptations or distractions, they will be irritated at its reading as if a bomb went off in the room. Okay? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says this, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Okay? So just very simply put, many is a lot of people. All right? And you could, you could ask yourself, is he talking about Christians or non-Christians? And I think we'll get a clarity on that. Uh, to some extent, it's both. And there's danger for Christians very much so in doing that. And we're going to see by the end, there is grave danger. And even maybe they're aware of the grave danger, those who are non-Christians in doing that. Okay? So it's many will follow. Uh, it's interesting how Jason talked about what's on the, on the throne of your heart today. That's essentially what they're talking about. What will lead you? What will be important to you? What will guide you? Will follow their sensuality. So sensuality is basically um, what you desire, what you see that you want. Right? So in this case, it's I see something, I like it, and I do it. Brother Tony Tate has shared a number of times that I've listened to how kids, a lot of times, they think, well, I think I'll do this. And they don't question it. They just go do it. And sometimes... Non-believers and even Christians will fall in that same trap. And that is a, that's a good picture of sensuality. You'll see that he gives us another picture of that a little bit later as we get to the points. All right? So many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, because of those who follow their sensuality, the way of the truth will be maligned. All right? So to follow your sensuality is to do, again, what it is you think you see, you want, whatever. Um, what you think is best, a, a good phrase from the Bible might be where in the, in the book of Judges, where it says, all the people did what they thought was right. That is not what we're called to. Doing what you think is right is not the highest point or even a good high point of human existence. That is not the standard. Okay, So we go like, well, I was trained up good, I'm an honest person, whatever, so I do what I think is right. That's not anywhere near enough. Right? That, in a sense, is sensuality because you recognize the training, you think the training is good, you make a judgment about I should follow the training, and then you carry it out, and afterwards you feel good about it. That's all sensuality. Every one of those points was sensuality. Doing what's right, not what you think is right or what feels right, is another thing altogether. Okay, Because people do that, the way of the truth, meaning the path of the things that we should be doing, will be maligned, talked badly about, or thought badly about, or made to look evil. Okay, Verse 3, And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They will exploit you with false words. Anybody here, uh, by any chance, like the King James? Does anybody have a King James in the room? Okay, So in the King James Version, what it says here, is you will become merchandise to them. Interesting word, isn't it? The actual word in the text is a Greek word, which you don't have to remember this, but it's impor you am I. Um, and it means to use someone else for gain. It is a single word in the Greek that means to use someone else for gain. And so here it says that these people will use you for their gain. And in their greed, they will use you for their gain. Right? They will do this to you with false words. And the word there actually is, in the King James, is the old word molded with the U. M-O-U-L-D-E-D. Okay? And so it means uh, to be formed or shaped with a specific, usually false purpose. Very carefully. Done with great craftsmanship. Right? And always kind of look as a facade or a 
a, a falsehood, right? Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed, they will make merchandise of you, or they will exploit you, they will gain over you, gain from you. They will do this with false or well-crafted fake words. And it says, their judgment from long ago is not idle. So God has already set what will happen to them in the long run. Okay? It's already at work. Well, not idle means already at work, right? Your car is at idle, it's in park, it's just sitting there, it's not doing anything. You get your foot on the gas, even if it's doing a little bit, it can't really move because you're holding it at idle. But when you let off the gas, even at idle, it'll roll, right? Their judgment is not at idle. Something is happening with it even today. You follow that? It is, it's also not put off. It's, it's set on the day of judgment, permanently coming to be at that point. Their judgment from long ago, God already decided how this was going to go, is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. And that's the phrase. That's the one that blew my mind. Their destruction is not asleep. Okay? Jason, you work out, lift weights, right? Sometimes. Okay? How often do you do that while you're sleeping? Ever? Never? Why not? Can't, can you? Not really, right? I mean, we like toss and turn a little bit. Maybe you lift your own body. What you could wear some? I bet you could wear weights on your ankles and when you roll over, because you probably wake up every single time, right? Their destruction, not being asleep, means there is something happening right now to them, in them, on them, against them, whatever. For a moment, let us look at who he's talking about. He's talking about people who follow their sensualities. Don't confuse yourself. If you do what you think is right, if you see something and you go after it, if you hear something and you want it, if you yearn for something, when you lust in your heart for a woman, when you desire more money, when you desire more freedom, right? Or more control. I mean, you spend your money so you feel like it's all gone now. I don't have any more money, but I feel good because I feel free because I spent my money, right? If you're living in any of those areas, he says at the end of verse 3, judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. It is actively working right now. See, we always talk about hell. Nobody wants to go to hell, right? Not if you understand what hell is. There's people who foolishly do not understand what hell is and, and they joke about it. And it's going to be a great party or something, but it's not going to be like that. It's a horrible, horrible place to go. Nobody wants to go there. But nobody's thinking about going there right now. Everybody's got this diffused mentality. They all, they all think they're not going to die for a long time. Right? It's never going to happen to me. I'm going to live. I have tomorrow and next week and I'll be alive. Like Just like my grandparents did. I'll be alive when my kids graduate from high school and I'll move them into their college dorms and I'll hold my grandchildren. And I'll, We all got this idea that nothing bad is ever going to happen. Peter understood it differently. This destruction is not asleep. The very same judgment that also will be on the day of judgment, it'll be burning in fire, separated from God forever. That judgment is not idle. It is at work now. This is the problem. We've been talking to people like, well, you know, you're okay right now because you're not dead. But when you're dead, you think you're going to go to heaven? You know, if you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to go to heaven. We've been talking to them like that's the big deal. But that's not the big deal. Not now. It will be a very big deal then. But the big deal now is that this destruction is not asleep. This judgment is not idle. They're literally facing what Peter is thinking of as he writes these verses. They're facing it right now every day. And realize this would include people who profess 
to be Christian and do this. That's why it's so important. You can't do that because if you do that, judgment has been held permanently. It's already at work and still working and will be until it's final, right? And destruction is not idle. Okay, so let's talk briefly about the points in this text. The first, the first two kind of go by kind of fast, so hold on to your hats, all right? First thing is, it talks about sensuality, right? It talks about doing what you think you want to do, going after your desires. There was a, a wise man, he's actually a, a very, become a very good friend of mine and, and been with him for a long time, who told me that his dad once told him that people are essentially going to do what they want to do. Ultimately, they're going to do what they want to do. Now, we know that by Christ, our wants and our desires are supposed to be transformed, right? So what you want to do should be changing to be like what Jesus wants for you. But it's not there. That's sanctification. It, it's progressive. It's ongoing. We're getting there. We're working on it. We want our wants to be the same as his. But you have to recognize that your wants are not always going to be the same as Jesus. And you cannot live by the motto, you do what you want to do, assuming that God will just take care of it and it'll be okay. Sensuality is like that. But when Jesus comes in, John 8, 12, he is the light of our life. And the light in Scripture means it's an enlightenment. It's awakening. Wisdom is there. Jesus is with us. And he, he shows us that there is something different. That there is a way that is not exactly what you want to do. But it is what's exactly best for you. And you will prosper, and you will benefit, and you will grow, and you will step one step closer to God. You're Jason, say, we went to camp, okay? Going to camp was somewhat a sacrifice. I'll tell you two things about that. Number one, we went to camp, and because everybody went to bed at like 2 o'clock in the morning, between 12.30 and 2 o'clock in the morning, got up at 6.30 a.m., we had to fight with the boys all day long to keep them awake. All day long. They were sitting in messages and classes, and we had a guy, hey, wake up, hey, wake up, sit up. If you can't stay awake, stand up. This is important. We're talking about it. do that all day long. Guess who we never had to do that with once? Jason. Jason got the same amount of sleep as everybody else. Jason went to sleep at 1 o'clock in the morning, got up at 6.30 every, every day, except never once did, was Jason falling asleep. You know why? And I'm not saying, I'm not, it's not prideful about Jason. This is God, okay? But the reason was because he was interested. He actually wanted to hear, and he didn't want to miss anything. Even though he was tired, he didn't want to miss anything. Are you there? Do you want to miss what God is saying, what he's doing? You know what? You know what time I went to bed last night? This is in the Lord. I'm being transparent. You know what time I went to bed? 3.15. 3.15. Literally, I'm not kidding you. I looked at my watch last night before I laid down my head to the pillow. 3.15. I stopped doing what I was doing at midnight, and then I went, and I literally watched a movie, which the Lord led me to watch, and I prayed through the movie, and then I the movie ended, and I turned TV off, and then I prayed some more and thought about my sermon. And then I went to bed at 3.15. Now, you know what time I woke up? No alarm. Take a guess. 7.30. Why? Four hours, 15 minutes of sleep. I need seven hours sleep. I'm standing before you today tired. I'm being transparent here. I'm being honest with you. The reason I got up at 7.30 was because I was excited about what God's going to do today. I didn't want to miss a moment of the day that God had prepared I needed some time to look again at the powerful thing that I'm going to get to here that you need to understand is maybe the key to success in the Christian walk to some degree. Obviously, that's Jesus, but this is a teaching of Jesus that Peter understood that we seem to be missing, or at least missing parts of it. Understand, you can do whatever you want, but there is a price to be paid. If you're tired, you ain't tired because God gave you too much to deal with in your life. 
You're tired because you took on things that you wanted to take on and then still had to do the things that God wanted you to do and now you're tired. You don't have not enough time or live too far away or don't have enough money or can't go do what you want to do because your car's broke down or whatever. You don't have any of that stuff going. Your relationships are not struggling because God just said one day, oh, you know what, I think you're a screw-up and you deserve a bad relationship. God's not a wicked, vindictive witch that's in, the, in heaven sending nasty curses on people who slightly disagree with him. God loves you. God loves lost people so much that he makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on their crops so they can be wealthy and successful and have an abundant and beautiful life. Not the abundant and beautiful life that's available in Christ, but he lets them get by. He coats them in ignorance so that they cannot understand the foolish decisions they're making because if they did, they would live in fear and trepidation every single day. It is God's grace that lost people don't know what hell is like. We experience with our eyes and our senses, all five, and, and, and even then your heart yearns for things that you want. These cannot be the motivators of life. Because of acting out in that sense. So when you do that, you claim the name of Jesus, and then you come in here and you can't, you can't stay awake, you can't focus, so the pastor preaches the message, you don't live it, you don't go do it. Whatever. Basically what you do is you give Jesus, who died on the cross for you, a black eye. And people look at him and they go, what's he got a black eye for? He must be really weak. I'm being metaphorical, but the bottom line is you must not be led or guided by what you desire. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life will be with you your whole life. That cannot be the leader, your leader. Point number two then is because of that sensuality, as I started to say there, the, the way will be maligned. The way will be maligned. So people look down on the way. Well, you know who the way is. That's Jesus. I just gave you an illustration of that. But it's more than that. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And that means the hados. It means the path. It's the way that you go. It's, it's not just the way into heaven. It's the way that you go every single day of your life. That's what he's talking about. If you're not on the way or if you think, well, you know, the way is too hard. It's a young man that I'm, I'm trying to witness to right now. He's, he's been using uh, marijuana and drinking and recently got into crack cocaine. And uh, he heard the gospel preached but didn't accept Jesus Christ. So all of that, he heard the gospel preached and didn't accept Jesus Christ. And when the woman who was talking with him before me asked him why, she said, well, I went to church and the church told me that I can't sleep with women outside marriage. And if I can find a girl who's willing to sleep with me, you darn well better believe I'm going to do it. Now, he's already wrapped up in pot, marijuana, I say pot, alcohol, and cocaine, right? And now we see he's re what, it's really an addiction to sex is what's really stopping him from coming by his own admission anyway. This is what we do. Guided by sensuality, we look at the way that is right, the thing that will be best for you, the thing that you should do, the thing that will make you healthy and strong and give you abundant life, and we don't want to do it because the other way simply factually looks better. It looks better. It's easier, smoother. The hurdles aren't as high. The walls aren't as thick. The difficulties aren't as much of a struggle. And then we foolishly say, okay, well, I can do what I want to do. God loves me. I'm going to be okay as a Christian. Or we say as a non-Christian, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody can stop me. I'm a free American. I live in a great country. I can just do this. And we go buy, a, buy an ATV and drive it on the road without a license plate. Because nobody can stop us, right? And we should be allowed to do whatever we want to do. We're Americans, even though it's illegal. And they can stop you. And they'll take your ATV, just like they've now confiscated like 500 ATVs in the city of Toledo. Right? The bottom line is, what's wrong is wrong, no matter how good it looks. And this sensuality that people are following after creates a great 
barrier, if you will, between them and the way that God, God talks about it this way in Isaiah 33. He talks about the highway of holiness. And if you walk the highway of holiness, you cannot be touched by it. And he uses you know, figurative language. He's talking about serpents and, and animals and like that. But what he's talking about is evil spirits and demons. If you are on the way that Christ has set before you and you stay on the way that is holy, now this doesn't save you, you're saved through Jesus Christ. But if you stay on the way that is holy, the demons and evil spirits, they're off the edge. But here's what they do. They come up to the edge and say, popcorn, popcorn, get your popcorn here. Don't you want some popcorn? Here's some free popcorn. Right? Every crack dealer gives free samples. Right? And so the demon comes up to the edge of the, of the road. He says, just come over here. Just come over here and see how much better it looks over here. Right? In Proverbs, it talks about the false teacher and evil teachings. And she says, come in here. Come in here. She looks so good and so pretty. And that's it. The enemies of us know how to appeal to sensuality. To your lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. To your desires. And it will look very, very good. And it will lure you off the way. But Jesus says the man who follows the way, the man who lives the way, the man who listens to the teachings and follows them is like the man who built his house, dug deep and built it on a rock, right? If you follow the way that Jesus set before you, your foundation will be firm. You're going to be okay. I was listening to the story of the tent during the inspirational reading, which touched my heart. I almost cried. And then um, when you told that story, and then the Spirit said to me this. He said, you know, you got to put the tent down firm. And I imagine you did that because you said it didn't blow away. So it must have been, if it didn't blow away in 70 mile an hour winds, the bottom had to have been solid, right? But then I think about the tops of tents, and they're not all that solid, right? Flexi poles, and, and you got a canopy. Jason told me that that uh, part of the problem was that, that after, when you got it set back up again, you put the, put the tarp on top and got it spiked down really good. And that's what part of the problem was. Sometimes the top has got to be attached to the bottom. And that's what we're talking about. You're saying, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but instead of following Jesus and living in Jesus' ways, you've built upon the foundation of Jesus something that's flimsy and won't stand up to a storm. And that's what Jesus says. So if you build in Christ, if you walk in my teachings, your house will be dug deep, built on the foundation. And when the storms come, it'll hold. But if you don't, when the storms come, it won't hold. And by the way, the storms come. He's not talking about Judgment Day. He's talking about Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right? Because the storms come every day. It doesn't rain every day, but every day something goes wrong. Every day something gets difficult. Every day the evil spirits come and tempt your mind. Every day temptations and distractions. Every, every day somebody tries to use you so they can get ahead while you just sit where you are. It's every day. The Lord works in the situations and if you choose the easy road, the non-Christ road, the sensual road, you follow what you even what you think is right, not informed by what God says is right, then you're in trouble. And that's the bottom line. This way is available to you. In, in the book of Jude, uh, in verse 4, right? So it's, of course, the first chapter because there's only one. If I can get there. It says this. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, which means going after all kinds of bad stuff, and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. The bottom line is there are people who are, are Christians, but instead of walking the way that God has given them to walk, they are distracted, tempted. Now be careful before you become judgmental about people like that because you've got to understand that the distractions are very very conniving. Have you been on YouTube this week? You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think for a second. Have you been on YouTube this week at all? 
Facebook. You've been on Facebook? Have you been on any social media whatsoever online? Now, did anyone make any money while they were on YouTube, Facebook, or social media this week? Is there anybody in this room who made any money? Does anybody want to take a guess at how much money those social media platforms made this week? Now, you may have only contributed cents. Exactly. It's billions of dollars. You may have only contributed cents, but you contributed. You understand? They are using us. They are monetizing us. And I'm not saying that that itself is a sin. But what I'm saying is that's so subtle that we don't even think about it. And you get on YouTube for an hour or Facebook for an hour, or you post a video and people watch it, it likes it, it goes viral, thousands of people watch your video, something like that. And every time that happens, you make nothing. But Facebook, YouTube, and all the other social media platforms are making a billion dollars a week. Because you gave them 30 cents, and so did everybody else. Now you say, I didn't give them 30 cents, not my 30 cents. Really? Because you viewed the ads, which then affected your mind. You sold that little bit of time that you had there, for that 30 cents, but it didn't come to you, it went to them. And not just you, but all the people that are out there right now that struggle with food and paying their rent and will spend four hours on Facebook today. So they're earning money for Facebook today, but they're not earning any money for themselves. That's what it's like. It's very subtle. It can look good. It can work itself. The NFL. You know how much money NFL football teams make? And I'm not speaking against anybody, but you know how much money they make? Where do you think they make that from? You think they make it from ticket sales? Yeah, they make money from ticket sales. Sure they do. They make it from everything. They have found how to make a penny on literally everything that happens in the world that has to do with the NFL. People got, you know how many people in the world own NFL football hats and shirts and stuff on their walls and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Billions and billions and billions of dollars. Well, we like football, right? Okay, take it away. You say, well, don't mess with my football, right? It's baseball. It's softball. It's How do they pay people $12 million? It is not ticket sales. Don't kid yourself. They make money on ticket sales. But if you look at their organizations, they make money on ticket sales, which, by the way, is the same kind of thing. Somebody goes pays $80 or $150 to watch somebody play a sport, right? Watch 10 guys running back and forth on a basketball court, and while you're there, you pay... Five bucks for a soda and five bucks for a piece of pizza and eight bucks for a little glowy thing so when they turn your lights off, the kids can all go like this, right? Whatever. See what I'm saying? They have found a way to make money on everything. They found a way to make so much money, they can give away more money than you and I will ever see in our lifetimes to get people to sign up and still they'll make more money on top of that. And it's subtle. And it's things that we like. And that's it. And the, and the things that we like we follow, even in subtle ways, and every little bit of way that you follow it maligns the way of the truth, maligns Jesus' ways. You've got to be careful. Now, I'm not saying following NFL or getting on social media does that. I'm just using those as an example of how subtle it can be. You are being used as merchandise. I am being used as merchandise, not just by the commercial world, but every day, everywhere that we go. Everybody wants something from you. Everybody. And I'm not saying that's a horrible thing. That's a normal human condition. But be aware of it because you cannot allow it to malign the way of truth. And then we come to the third thing. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Because, according to God, those who are doing that thing and luring people onto a path of sensuality away from the road and those who are being lured onto a path of sensuality away from the road. So we're talking about all unsaved people. Everybody that doesn't know Jesus is now covered. 
Right? Everybody that doesn't know Jesus is now covered. And everybody that professes to know Jesus but is lured off of the way that God would have them to live, also covered. According to that, he says, their judgment is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And this is the thing that I didn't understand exactly how full it was and I'm going to share it with you now. Okay, Number one, understand that they are steeped in ignorance. Now it's grace that they're steeped in ignorance. They are not wise about the way to live the world. If you're in this room and you think, well, I do what I want to do. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but really I do what I want to do. You understand that when you are doing that, that is not wise. That is ignorance. You don't understand that God wants the best thing for you and he's going to show you and sometimes it's going to go contrary to what you think you want to do. Whatever, whenever you may know something, this is absolutely true scripturally, whenever you may know something, anything that you might know, you might be the best biochemist in the world, whenever you might know something, without Jesus, something of that is kept from you. You cannot be ultimately wise without salvation. There are scientists in the world who believe in God, and there are scientists in the world who do not believe in God. The scientists in the world who do not believe in God may have a higher IQ than the scientists in the world who do believe in God, but these people have a faulty understanding of God's creation and the way it works. Because every time they do something, they leave out the calculations of the infinite, powerful creator that is God. And every time these people over here do something, they do not leave him out because they believe in God. That's the difference. You cannot have ultimate wisdom. Jesus is light. In heaven, God's throne is the only light. God brings enlightenment. That's what he does. It says that anybody who wants wisdom, you pray to God, ask for it, he'll give it to you, and he won't be upset about it. He won't chide you, make you feel bad about it. He will give you wisdom. You don't look to God for wisdom. There is a limit to the amount of wisdom that you can have. And these people live. Now, the beauty of it is they live by grace in this ignorance. Because if you understood, as you're following what you want to do rather than what Jesus wants, if you understood that you're literally destroying yourself and your life, now, sometimes it's subtle and it happens over long periods of time, right? Think about it. If you ate just one extra cupcake a day, where you'd be at in, a, in 10 years? Now, initially it wouldn't seem like anything. A few weeks, nothing. A few months, now it's kind of starts seeing like something, right? Just imagine you ate something that was just high cholesterol every day. Just add that to your diet, right? It's sometimes subtle, but it adds up and it ultimately results and it's never idle. It doesn't stop adding up. You can't go, well, I'm fine if I do that. <clears throat> that's not the way it works. The bottom line is, God bursts the bubble of ignorance and he brings wisdom. And if you do it outside of God, <coughs> you are ignorant of whatever it is that God is trying to show you. Second thing is, there is a lack of God's presence. <clears throat> Obviously, we know Scripture says the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in believers. Hear this verse for a moment, if you would, from Romans 8-9. And flip there if you're following along in your specific translation or if you just want to read it as you hear it. Romans 8, 9 says this. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Bottom line is, if the Holy Spirit of God is not in you, then you're not saved. And if you're not saved, the Holy Spirit of God is not in you. That's kind of the way it goes. So you don't have, you lack God's presence. So my wife and I were talking about this, about how easy it is to feel lonely. We have a wonderful relationship. We talk about a lot of things. We do a lot of things together. We try to make time for each other. We date. We do all this stuff. And still, at times, I'm lonely. And so is she. And it's times usually when we can't be together. So you know what loneliness is like? This is worse one step than that because you get to that spot of loneliness and you go, man, I... I know I'm lacking 
But I don't even know what it is because the Holy Spirit's not there with you. This is the lack of God's presence. Jesus says in John 14, 17, he says it this way. John 14, 17. I'll go back to 16 because it's a full sentence. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Talk about the Holy Spirit. And so those who are following the sensuality way, whose actions essentially malign the good way, they do not have God's presence in them. Which means if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ by your profession, you're actually following him, and then you decide to go off the way and follow what you want, what will taste good, what feels good, what looks good, what will collect well in your bank account, whatever, you do that instead, then you will not have a personal experience of the Holy Spirit. Even if he is there, you will quench his presence in you. Because he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to do what you want to do. He wants to do what God wants to do. It is essentially as if he would stay there and you would walk away. Except he doesn't ever leave. He's in you still. And that's why when we repent and turn back to him, we immediately feel his presence again. There is a lack of presence of the Holy Spirit and that is part of the destruction not being idle and, I'm sorry, judgment not being idle, destruction not being asleep. There we go. I got that backwards. Whatever. Anyway, you know what it is. Alright, so then number three. There was a definite lack of peace. Now, in case you missed this in the scripture, this is how this went down. Adam and Eve walked in the coolness of the garden with God every day. But one day, when God was not physically in their presence, they, the serpent came, had a nice conversation with Eve. Standing, Art, uh, Adam was standing right there the whole time. And they decided to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? At that moment in time, three things happened. Number one, there was a break in peace with God. As would be evidence, well, God would shortly show up and they will hide in shame. And God will call them out of the bush and say, hey, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And Adam blames his wife and his wife blames the serpent, right? So there is a break in fellowship with God. There is a lack of peace with God. Secondly, there is a lack of peace with men because the first thing Adam does is throw his wife under the bus. There's only two people alive at that time. It's Adam and Eve. And Adam throws Eve under the bus. That's a break. By the way, your wife does not like it when you throw her under the bus, right? Nor does your friends. So Adam throws Eve under the bus. And she bails and tries to blame it on the serpent who's wise and crafty and speaks well and whatever. But it doesn't work because they made their own choice. So now there's a break between them and God and there's a break between them and them. Right? And then lastly, there's a break between them and creation. When they're in the Garden of Eden, everything's working great. God said, now you're going to be out there, thorns growing off of the ground. You're going to work your butt off to try to survive, etc. You're going to have to kill sheep and eat meat and blah, 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 eventually. All that kind of thing. So now there's a break between man and creation. But in Christ, in God, there is peace. There is peace between man and God. God and I are reconciled. God forgave my sins. God paid for my sins on the cross. Now I have peace. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. Not peace such as the world gives peace, but peace like only I can give. And of course, I paraphrase that. Okay. Bottom line is, now there's peace between me and God. Secondly, there's peace between man and man. Right. So men and women, God says, under the fall, it goes God, man, woman. I'm sorry, God, Jesus, man, woman. There you go. God, Jesus, man, woman. But the real picture, what God's actually after, is God, Jesus, man, and woman. Right? It's not woman under man, it's man and woman together, unified, serving God under Jesus. And they both look to Jesus. That's so true that if the man stops following Jesus, the woman should follow Jesus, and, he, and the man just slides over here off the highway of holiness, not in the proper order, and he becomes following his own central. He may malign the good life that is in the, the, the life of truth, and he will begin to not experience the Holy Spirit in person, and he will 
eventually answer to God for it. Maybe even he's not saved if he would do that. But that's between him and the Lord to figure that out. But the bottom line is you shouldn't. Men should not step out of the way of their wives and make their wives follow God without them. And nor should women step out of the way of the relationship with God. But there will be peace between men and men when men look to God. Right? I met Jason uh, Wellington through the ministry of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church when we were on Main Street. Okay, Ron is my brother-in-law. I met him when he was about, what, 10, 11, something like that. And uh, we've known each other for a really long time. But when Ron became a Christian was the first time there was ever any real peace between us. And real, now, uh, at times, I can be very much a butthead, and Ron's a professional butthead as well. And so we offend each other. Isn't that right, Ron? It sometimes happens. And yet, I love Ron, and Ron loves me. And we show up for each other. We care about each other. We pray for each other. Why? Because in Christ, there is peace between men. But don't kid yourself. Outside Christ, there's no peace between men. If You've got to be an idiot not to look at social media, TV, and everything that's going on in the world and realize there's no peace between men. There's not peace between countries. There's not peace between races. There's not peace between political ideologies. There's not peace between faith. There's so much not peace that peace is not even a thing. People don't even think about peace. It's like, I got peace when I sit in the wilderness and no one else is around. Yeah, you can have peace then because literally nothing is happening. You're not trying to work, which means you've got to overcome creation. You're not trying to be better, which means you've got to have peace with God. You're not trying to interact with people or change the world, which means you have strict uh, uh, friction with other people. Bottom line is, we can have peace with God through Jesus. We have peace with men through Jesus. And people who are following the way of sensuality do not have that. And then lastly, peace with creation. This one's a little bit weird because we're never going to get peace with creation the way we really want peace with creation until Jesus comes again, right? You're still going to fight the ground, fight fight the breaking down of everything, what they call entropy. Everything is spinning down. You're going to fight pollution. You're going to fight lack of certain foods and minerals. And now you go to the store and you buy perfectly healthy, normal foods, but they've all been genetically modified and and grown in soil that has been hundreds of years, uh, and they don't really have any nutrients. And so now we've all got to take vitamins or eat even healthier food. And we're talking organic, and it just goes on and on and on. And the bottom line is, until Jesus comes again, we're really, really not going to have peace with creation. Except, except it says in Colossians 1, 20-22, that in Christ God reconciled to himself the creation. Now you know how this works, right? Anybody ever try to grab onto a moving vehicle as it was going down the road? So one time I was pulling into uh, Cedar Point, and I thought I would be funny, and I opened my passenger door, and I was driving about 35 miles an hour, and I opened my passenger door and tried to knock over one of the cones in the parking lot with my hand. You know how well that went? That hurt. That hurt a lot. About, about hyperextended my shoulder, messed with my elbow, my hand. My hand was stinging. 35 mile an hour, smacked the cone going by, and, I'm, and it's just 35 mile an hour. Right? Because I was not reconciled with the cone. I walk up and tip that cone over. That's no problem at all. But I wasn't reconciled with the cone. I was doing 35 mile an hour and it was sitting still, anchored pretty well to the ground. Right? And those are, those cones, they put really heavy bottoms on them. And this is one with the white pole going up. So the thing probably weighed 35 pounds and it didn't want to go. And I went smack. Went, oh! It did fall over because I'm tough. But the bottom line is, that was kind of stupid. The point is, if you're not reconciled with God, then you're not reconciled with creation because creation is reconciled with God. But if you are reconciled with God, then you are, in some sense, reconciled with creation because creation is reconciled with God. God and creation coming together as one. Man and God coming together as one. Now, sometimes this is what that looks like. We look at, we read Romans and it says that all creation is groaning. And basically, we give creation a little bit of grace. 
you stop getting all flustered and upset because a storm came and the car broke down or things didn't go the way you expected or you ran out of this or that or somebody got sick because you realize all creation is groaning for the redemption that is coming when Christ comes again. And that's going to come when he says it's going to come and not until then. So we submit to God and suddenly we have peace with creation. But those who do not know God through Jesus Christ do not have peace with God. They do not have peace with man and do not have peace with creation. And you see it. You get it. It's obvious. I did it. I, I had days that were filled with one frustration after another, one moment of anger after another, one moment of intimidation after another, one problem of fighting. I went to a football game and there was guys waiting to beat me up because I had talked nicely to some guy's girlfriend and they decided they were just going to wait to beat me up. And so then I rode my 10 speed as fast as I could to get out of there because there was eight of them and only one of me. So first I got friction with the guys. Then as I'm riding my 10 speed, I'm praying to God whom I didn't know at all saying, God, get me out of here. I'm going to get beat to crap. And I, and, and I felt like there was nothing. God didn't answer. Nothing happened. And at about like 150 yards away, I started getting really tired riding my bike. My body was giving out and I didn't want to go. And I was clear, but I was afraid to stop. Don't you see? You see? There's no peace with men. There's no peace with creation. There's no peace with God. And that started at Adam and Eve and it's still going on now. And you won't get it unless you get it through Jesus Christ. But you don't get it just through Jesus Christ. And it's all taken care of. You get it by walking the way that Jesus gave you. When you pull off that way into the sensuality, you go after what you want instead of what Jesus wants, while you malign the way of truth and say, oh, that way is too hard. I can't give that much. I can't serve that much. I can't speak up that much. I can't be solid. I can't be intentional. I can't be on time. I can't be there. I might, that's too far away. That's broke. That's problem. I can't pick that person up. I can't pray for that person. I can't say, say, share the gospel. I'll get that out. Can't share the gospel. Bottom line is, well, you make all these excuses about what you can't do. Basically, it's because you're over there in that area of sensuality and you're maligning the way of truth. The way of truth is you get out of bed every morning, you ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And then get this, that's one. You do it, that's one. And you do it again at noon and you do it again at two and you do it again at five. That's the way of truth. That's the way that he's talking about. It's not a bad way, it's a good way. It's not a hard way. It's an easy way because the power isn't yours anyway. If you die, you go straight to heaven. It's a way that never ends in failure. But people who live in the world in sensuality lack peace. They, they're ignorant. They lack the presence of the Holy Spirit and they lack peace. The next, they run from authority. Proverbs 28 says, let's see if I can do it from memory, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are, depending on your translation, at peace, right? Or calm, or okay. Bottom line is, when, for example, when I used to be a non-Christian, I'd drive my car. Driving my car, 35 mile an hour zone, 36 mile an hour. Drive past the police officer. You know what I did? What does everybody do? Hit the brake, slow down. I'm doing one mile an hour, I'm going to get a ticket. But you know why I slowed down when that would happen? Because a lot of times I was driving over the speed limit. Right? I would drive 70 in a 35. So I'd be a police officer, immediately get a guilty feeling because I knew that I usually am speeding, but I didn't have to be speeding, but I'd still slow down because it's a reaction. Right? Then I got saved. Guess what happened? I didn't stop speeding. So now I'm a saved Christian serving the Lord, talking about Jesus, going to work for Jesus, going to Bible college, doing all the things that I'm doing. I'm trying to do everything that I do. I do it as if I do it unto the Lord, but I was still speeding. So I drive by a police officer doing 36 mile an hour 35. Guess what I did? I'd hit the brake and slow down. 
Because I knew that by my very nature, I was a person living outside the pathway that is right. I knew I was living outside what is right and doing what I wanted to do rather than what is right to do. And I knew that given the opportunity, that police officer would give me that piece of paper and I'd have to go pay 90 bucks or whatever for speeding. Right? And I don't want to do that. That's the same way for both non-Christians and Christians who are living by sensuality. If you ever, ever have guilty feelings, if you ever think, well, I feel guilty because I do this thing that's wrong. You understand? Number one, God does not use guilt. God uses conviction. God doesn't say, don't do that most of the time. He says, do this instead. Okay? But if the enemy comes in, he will make you feel guilty. So if you ever have guilty feelings, you can assume that it is because either A, right there at that moment, you're in the path of sensuality, or B, you were in the path of sensuality that led you to feel guilty. Most people who are Christians are in the process of fixing something about themselves. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. You didn't get to needing something fixed by staying on the way of truth. You got to needing something fixed by being in the way of sensuality. So you know it. You know when you're there. It's not a surprise. The amazing thing is that the destruction, the judgment, they're not idle, they're not falling asleep, they're active, and it causes people who are walking in that way to run from authority because they know they're not right. Get this. Even when authority isn't there. Even when authority isn't there. They will literally run from nothing. Now, is he talking about, ooh, dark room, run away? It's not a physical running. It's a turning away from what's right. It's a failure to do what's right. It's a failure to stand up and be the person that you're supposed to be in Christ. It's a failure to exercise your spiritual gift. It's a failure to live out your life in the church, which is married to Jesus, that you are called to being the person that you're supposed to be. And something starts to go a little bit wrong. It's shaky. It's going to cost you too much. I'm going to have to extend myself. I don't know. I might have to take out a loan or I might have to give more than I ever planned on giving or do more than I ever planned on doing. And if I have to do that, that does not look appealing to me. But over here, I can do this. It's a safer road. It takes care of me and I'm all right. And suddenly you're not doing what it is that God wants you to do. We run when there's nothing to run from. There's only one place to run and that's to Jesus. You got no reason to run from anything. Guy comes in this room with a gun, you don't run. Because what if you do run? And then he shoots everybody. Everybody that stayed behind and everybody that was running. Some of us got to run toward the guy with the gun. That's the bottom line. And if everybody runs from, then it's crapshoot. It's like a duck hunt. Somebody's got to go after the guy with the gun. You don't run. Get some courage for crying out loud. If you're a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, if you die, you go straight to heaven. If you live for Jesus, you'll live the abundant life every single day. Next, there's the path of resistance. This will only take a second, but you understand in Ephesians 2, it says, for we were objects of wrath. Wrath is not anger. God's not mad at you, and he's not mad at unbelievers. He does resist unbelievers, and he resists all people who move on to the pathway, the part of the pathway that is about sensuality. If you go after what you want, God will resist you. Unless that what you want is what God also wants. If you do what God wants, then he's not going to resist. Don't be an object of wrath. Don't be resisted by God. Subjugation. Jesus said that those who practice sin are slaves to sins. In John 8, it's a great passage of Scripture which also includes, come follow me and I will make you, or come follow me and I will, uh, you will know the Son and the Son will set you free. Right? It's in that same, that's the context of it. But the bottom line is, do you want to be enslaved again or not? Oh, I get it. 
it was safe. It probably even looks better at times because the path that is right has been maligned. I get that. That's why they said, well, we should go back to Egypt. At least there, we got to eat and had a house or had a place to live, right? But the path that is in Christ, the path that is in God is a free one, but sometimes it's hard. During rebellions, lots of people actually die, and we are in the rebellion against the rebellion. Satan is the rebellion against God, and we are rebelling against Satan. So in rebellion, sometimes people suffer, sometimes people die, and it may look better on the other side, but it isn't. Because if you give in to sensuality, you will become subject to sin and have another master in your life, not the kind you want. Then there's a mark. Uh, I've had two conversations in as many weeks about somebody who thought that they had the mark of the beast on them. That is a complete misuse of that passage of Scripture. We'll talk about that another time. Nobody has the mark of the beast on them, at least not at this moment in time. You want to look it up and read about it, you go feel free. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. We'll talk about it. You, don't, you shouldn't worry as much about the mark of the beast as you should about the mark of Cain. You say, what? The mark of Cain? Remember what happened, right? Cain murdered his brother. God marked him. Why did God mark him? So that everyone would know that he murdered his brother? No. God marked him to preserve him. But you say, then I want that mark. No, the reason God marked him to preserve him was because everyone would know that he murdered his brother and people would do harm to him or kill him or murder him because he was afraid, he was fearful. So God marked him after he lived in sensuality and so he could go and live in sensuality, marked him to be delayed, if you will, his destruction and his judgment, not asleep, not idle, but his ultimate and final judgment to be delayed until after his, the end of his natural life. And that's where you wind up if you walk the way of sensuality. All he did was murder his brother and kind of lie or deceive God a little bit about it. Jesus said if you have anger at your, your brother in your heart, that's the same as murder. So you've probably committed the exact same crime that Cain did as far as God is concerned. But what you don't want is that mark on you that says that you are preserved for the final judgment. Also, there is the mark of unbelievers or people walking in sensuality, which is they are fruitless or they have very little fruit. Their fruit is not plentiful or if it is plentiful, it's bad fruit. All of that marks them out and they are suffering under that this day. Next, there is no gift, no comfort, no enduring fruit of Christ in people who walk in sensuality, either because they have been deceived into doing so or because they chose to do so or because they do not know God and they are living out uh, a wicked or at least unrelated to Christ's life. Here is where it becomes evident that the opposite is not proven. Okay, Remember the girl who could tell the future in the book of Acts? So someone would say that she has a prophetic gift, right? So she exhibited a gift, except was her gift from God? No. It was from the evil spirit that was within her. So much so that when the apostle rebuked the evil spirit and sent it out of her, she couldn't tell the future anymore. In Matthew 7, it says there will be those who said, but Lord, Lord, we healed in your name. We prophesied in your name. And Jesus says, get away from me. I never knew you. Having a gift, exercising the gift, doesn't say anything. Having a version of comfort doesn't say anything. Having some kind of fruit that someone might think is good doesn't say anything. There is such a thing as evil spirit ministry and there is, there is demon possession and you could be there. 
There are people that thought they were inviting God in, but they went into a cult that taught a God that is not our God. They thought they were inviting God in and wound up demon-possessed. It happens. The bottom line is, you want God and God alone. You want the gift of the Holy Spirit. You want the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You want the enduring fruit of being a Christian and of the Holy Spirit in you. And that is not available to those who do not accept Christ or those who walk in sensuality. Then, of course, there is the mark that only they can see. Jesus says, get away from me, I never knew you. Let's be realistic here for a moment. You know whether you know Jesus or not. And you know whether Jesus knows you or not. Are you spending time with him? When you think about getting together with a friend, is Jesus first on the list? When you think about studying, learning, growing, learning something new, watching a video that you didn't know is Jesus first on the list? You know whether you know Jesus or not. And you know whether he knows you or not. I don't know. I can only go by what you say. Anyone else can only go by what you say. But you know, in your heart, you know. And then also it says that those who are saved, the Spirit testifies within me. I'm almost done now. We're approaching the conclusion. The Spirit testifies within me. And uh, with my spirit that I am saved. And so those who are walking the way of sensuality or those who are not saved, they don't have that spirit testimony within them. So they lack God's constant little voice, that got, or maybe not so little at times, saying, I've got you, I've got you, I've got you. As they approach the precipice and begin to act the part of a fool, instead of hearing God say, I've got you, they say, well, I think I'll do this, or I want to do that, or I'm going to make this turn out the way I want it to. And then the last one, and as I said, not everything about anything, the last one is they have un- they ha- uh, have unwelcome striving, or maybe worse, no striving. Okay, And so you're probably familiar with the story of Stephen in the book of Acts. I hope you are. Now I encourage you to read that. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen's witnessing about uh, what God did through Israel and leading it all right up to the sacrifice of Christ and basically ends with telling them that they crucified the Messiah. And, of course, then they stone and kill him. Um, but as he tells them that story, he tells them how God said that he will not strive with men forever. And he, t- and he shows it, he demonstrates it by facts, and then tells them, let me just go there and read it real quick. This will be one of the last verses that we read, so we make sure we get the, the uh, words of it. It's Acts 7, and the, the verse is in 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, meaning you do what you want to do rather than what God wants you to do, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your father did. Now let me ask you, the people that were about to stone him, were they saved? This is the key. Remember I told you there was one point that you don't get this. It's, It's huge. This is it right here. Were they saved, the men that were about to stone Stephen? No, they were not. But it says you men are doing just as your father did Always resisting the Holy Spirit. This is what you need to understand. All human beings on the face of the planet, you could reasonably say, at all times, are being affected by God's Holy Spirit. When we say God is omnipresent, where is God? He is everywhere. Where can anybody go and do anything that He's not there? Nowhere. Hell, but in nowhere else, right? If you are not striving with the Holy Spirit, you got a bigger problem. Because God said, my spirit will not strive with man forever. And in Romans 1, he talks about how some people go so far down the road of sensuality that he essentially says, go ahead, do whatever you want. 
And they do. And they're free of a sort. Free to go to hell. Free as slaves of their sin. Free as slaves of their desires, their sensuality. Right? God's Holy Spirit strives with men. Saved or unsaved. If you are professing to be a Christian, you ever come to the point at which you can do whatever you want, and when it's wrong, God doesn't say anything, you better repent and turn back to the Lord because you've reached the single most dangerous place you could ever be. You're teetering on the edge of whether you're even saved or not. If you're not saved, and you don't receive any striving, you don't receive any correction, you don't receive any nudging, pushing, I suppose psychologists call it conscience. I'm not saying people don't have that, but they think of it that way. Uh, birth training, history, whatever. People think, well, that's that feeling that I have, they, they blame it on anything else. But the bottom line is God is constantly teaching the unsaved about himself. And when those strivings are unwelcomed, when they don't want it, they have been reserved for destruction, for their judgment. But that judgment is not idle. And that destruction is not asleep. It is today. It is today because they have ignorance, because they lack the presence of the Spirit, because they lack peace, because they run from authority, because they, pa- they have a path of resistance, because they're subjugated by sin, because they, they have the mark of Cain upon them for that day in ultimate destruction, because they have no gift, no comfort, no enduring fruit, because they have that mark that only they can see, knowing that they do not belong to the living God, because the Spirit does not testify within them. And every day that they do wrong, One thing or another is true. Either they have that unwelcome striving of the Holy Spirit and they know that what they're doing is wrong and they should walk a different path, but they don't want to. Or worse, they no longer have the striving of the Spirit and they're able to do whatever they want and God's letting them go. And neither one of those places is anywhere that we want to be. That brings us to our conclusion. What may be confused it for me and it's just a little further down on the page of the main verses, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And I mistakenly thought, in reading that verse initially, that that simply meant that God would keep those who do not accept Jesus Christ separate and ultimately send them to hell, judge them for their sin, and send them to hell. But let's read it again. It says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. In other words, you cannot go down the road of sensuality. You can learn to walk the right way in Christ. And, he says, And to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. You take out the middle phrase, under punishment, he keeps the unrighteous for the day of judgment. That's the way most Christians are living their lives. That he keeps the unrighteous for the day of judgment. But that's not what it says. It says he keeps them under punishment for the day of judgment. The problem is you think you're saving people from hell when what you're really doing when you share the gospel is breaking them out of the punishment under which they are currently living. They're stuck. They're heaped on, subjugated, lacking wisdom. And somebody 
has got to share, open the cage, let them out. Now, if they don't want to come out, they can't come out. They won't come out. They'll continue to follow the pathway of sensuality if they want to, and there's nothing you can do about that. But how can you leave them stuck there if there's any possibility that they might want to come out? That sensuality picture there was the uh, in, I think it's verse 7 in the same chapter, he talks about Lot and how Lot lived uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, and, and he saw all that. They lived by sensuality. He says that righteous man was vexed by the lifestyle of sensuality they saw around him every day. It's a couple places that occurs in Scripture. I get it. The world around us, they look like they're doing what they want to do. And they look like they're getting away with it. But if you look at that, or you look at Christians who profess to be Christians and see them doing what they want to do and not doing what God wants them to do, and it looks like they're getting away with it, don't be fooled. God is not mocked. They will reap what they sow. And so would we. If you wander down a pathway of sensuality instead of, down, instead of walking the way of truth, you would get it as well. Why is this so important based on what we're talking about today? Well, because the world, those who do not know Christ, and those who know Christ are walking away. The Antichrist, who has crept in and teaches the exact opposite of what Jesus would have us to know, they're making merchandise of us. I don't mean just they've started websites and they're monetizing and they're making a bunch of money. They're making money or feeling successful or having joy of a sort or being encouraged or whatever. They are benefiting in a myriad of ways because we will not put our foot down and understand that the way of Jesus is the one, the only way. That walking in Christ, totally committed, 100% of the time, all day long, every day, is the only way. And the rest of that sensuality, as it maligns the way of Christ, is not loud enough to be louder than God, is not strong enough to be stronger than God, is not more true in any way, shape, or form, or true at all, in fact. The way of truth is the way. And those who are wandering off of it or who were never on it, they are under punishment right now. And God is capable of reserving them under punishment until the day of judgment. Let us help them. Let us free them. Let us definitely not be them. But instead, let us walk in newness of life in Christ. And then watch as He shows up, as He empowers His people I don't want to be a martyr, do you? But I don't want to be merchandise, do you? Come to think of it, I'm just that snarky that I'd rather be a martyr than be merchandise. Wouldn't you? Jesus would. Peter would. All the disciples would. They lived a life that, that brought them to death because they would not follow a road of sensuality, and go back under punishment, slavery, ignorance, and the absence of God's Holy Spirit, or at least the absence of the feeling of God's Holy Spirit. We can be free in Christ. If you are here today and you have not repented and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in totality, if you have not said, Jesus is my Savior and paid the price for my sins, and He is my Lord and He tells me what to do and I do it, if you have not done that, do that and be free. Appeal to the only one who can grant your appeal, and that's Jesus. If you have done it, and yet you know 
You have tarried near or on the, the, the way of sensuality rather than the highway of holiness, rather than the way of Jesus, rather than the way that he shows us how to live and how to walk. If you know you have done that, then repent today and let God put you back in the middle of the path. And there be safe. There be safe from evil spirits. There be safe from demons. There be safe from the world's temptations and distractions. There be no longer merchandise for the world to benefit by using you and instead belong to a holy God through Christ His Son. We're going to have the praise team come forward at this time and share uh, a song, lead us, if you will, in a song. And as they sing, I want to ask you to consider has God been at work in you today? Has God showed you something you didn't already see? You have to adjust to it. You have to turn your life over again to the God of heaven through His Son, Jesus Christ. Is there going to be a time today or tomorrow where you're going to be tempted to wander off onto being sensual, going after what you want, doing what you think is right rather than what God would have you to do? Yes. There is going to be a time like that. There is no temptation except that which is common to man. But with every temptation, God is faithful and he will make a way out. I tell you, the way that is in Christ is better than any other way. And the truth is, every other way is the same way. It is the way of sensuality, going after what you see with your eyes or desire. Repent and turn to the Lord alone. If you sing this song with me as the Lord has spoken to you today, then you respond in some way. Stand where you are. Let us sing as we are no longer merchandise in Christ. Some point in time during the sermon today, but it was about what I talked about. But 
there's something that God wants you to say, hey, speak up and say this right now. You do that. Just tell me where you are, and I'll call you. Are they? Um, it was kind of funny a little bit ago. I was reading ahead, mm-hmm. um, and I was reading. As I was reading, I was thinking about a lot of the first time the saying, and then yeah. I was just kind of giggle and started mentioning it because yeah. I was thinking the same exact thing. And obviously, it's the Holy, it was the Holy Spirit, and I was thinking that, and I'm like, you know, we do have that freedom from the temptation. But we also have to remember that even as Christians, that one small, subtle thing that you do puts you right back under that category of the unrighteous punishment. Because all you have to do is take that one toe and dip it in the other side and it can grab a hold of you. Yeah, no grabbing the cord right in. Absolutely. A little loving, loving, loving. That's right, that's right. So you see it now. I mean, it's funny because when I was in, uh, when I was in Bible college, they talked about what's called a systematic theology. And uh, they said, you know, there, there have been thousands of people who have written systematic theology because they take, take the whole Bible and they look at it in light of one important piece of theology. And usually it's John 3.16, for God's all over the world, or uh, uh, it is necessary, how Jesus said, it is necessary. Certain sacrifice is necessary, so like see must fall and die, and plant growth. They take different pieces of scripture and then they interpret the whole scripture in light of that. You could realize everything from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation in the light of God's Holy Spirit. So we always talk about like God's calling to us. God wants us to come to Him. God wants us to yield to Him or to give our life to Him or whatever, right? God, God is pursuing us. We talk about that. According to this, the Holy Spirit is literally on every non-believer. He convicts all men of sin and judgment. Right? And so he does. The Holy Spirit convicts all men of sin and judgment. Not, not meaning it convicts them of their every sin, but it convicts them of just exactly how bad sin and disobedient to God is. And then it convicts them of how righteous judgment is. And if you can be in a place and know how bad sin is and how uh, righteous judgment is and still sin, you deserve what you get. When my daughter is acting up or my son's acting up, I say, son, if you do that, that's, this is going to be the result. Or, or, or I ask him, you can not clean it up, but if you don't clean it up, I'm just going to throw it all away. And if she knows when I clean it up, I'm going to throw it all away, and she still doesn't clean it up, then she only lives that in, in fear of the righteous expectation of the judgment that's coming, which is for it all be thrown away. Now, it isn't daily all thrown away, is it? People are living in sin. They're still doing what's wrong. They're going after what they want. And God, by his grace, right, he is not slow in keeping his promises, but he is patient with us that all men might come to repentance. God, by his grace, has kept them under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, if they eventually accept Christ, they will escape punishment and judgment at the same time. And that's awesome. Never looked at it like that. But they are under punishment now. We have been. You behave in sensuality. You are under punishment. Now, in, in Christ, as you wander in that direction, you will experience it as you're alert to it, you're aware of it. You will experience it. You'll have something, a feeling. Holy Spirit will say, no, maybe that's not the way you want to go. I don't think this is good, right? And you will turn from it, and you have gotten near your stuff there. But there, you'll see that the lines aren't painted on the floor. It's not like we know when we're at the edge about to dip our toe, except through the spiritual discipline, except following Christ, except through the Holy Spirit, except through prayer, reading the Word, and being busy doing what it is that God would have us to do. It's a, it was amazing to me, like a light went on to realize that everyone in the world is already there. 
We're acting like they don't have an experience of God. They do. God said so. God said they're reserved under punishment. It says that he's, 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 all these effects are taking place already. Right? And, and as I said, I didn't say everything about that. I'll bet you can find 20 more in Scripture where God says that what he's doing to unbelievers and wicked people. The psalmist wrote that God hates wicked people. I think that's a little over the top. But the bottom line is, people will not turn to Christ. They are reserved under punishment for the judgment. Marked with a mark like Cain. He knows who they are by name. Every single one of them. Their name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But you better believe he knows their name. And we have a, an ability that changes what we're doing. I'm not coming to witness to you to save you from hell. I know that hell is horrible. But I don't know how horrible. Right? And you're talking about, it's like saying, I'm going to save you from being bankrupt in 21 years. And I'm going to do it today. Let me tell you how. People are like, what are you talking about 21 years? I don't care about 21 years from now. You know, i got to deal with what's today. Right? But if you say, I'm going to save you from hell in 21 years, people are going to do the same way. Well, about 20 years, I'll deal with it. But if you say, we are all under the punishment, we can be free. You've been feeling it. I know you have. You know this already. I know you do. And we appeal to what they already know. Now, if they're past the point of strivings and they're, and they're in that point where they can do whatever they want and they don't get any correction from God because they pushed him away so harshly, then you might not have any success. Not. No man comes under the Father except he be called. What if they're all called? All right, we're going to pray together and close. Yes, yeah. sure. I just I went to this thing a couple of weeks back. Uh, it was a, 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 a messing out synagogue, and the guy was going over the Ten Commandments, and he got to like I think the ninth or the tenth commandment, which says, "Thou shalt not covet." Mm-hmm. And I just, I just had this realization that, like, a lot of my problems in my life, and, and it's, it's going over the same thing today. With this, is a bunch of confirmation for me. But I believe, like, a lot of my problems, and probably a lot of other people's problems, has been covetousness. And we don't, you know, this it's got so many other sub names underneath it. The like the desires of the flesh yep. fall under that covetousness, and uh, I, and there was times I felt. I felt righteous in my covetousness too, and I didn't realize that. I felt like this is what I deserve, mm-hmm. and uh, it was my own misunderstanding. So, you know, in a way, I'm just confessing that out right now. But it just—it was amazing, like how I really didn't understand that hey, I was being covetous mm-hmm. when I was thinking like that. And was like, well, that ties beautifully in with this message. Because sensuality is very deeply, very deeply connected to covetousness. I want, even if it's uh, and this will step on your toes if you're not careful, but I want to be a better Christian. Choose that you can't be any better Christian than you are. You can let Jesus do amazing things in you. He can do all kinds of stuff. Every time you try to be a better Christian, that's that's bordering on sensuality or covetousness. If you want to be the one that seems to know more than anybody else, you prideful, you arrogant. You think you're a better worker, you do a better job, or you deserve your position, or you got the promotion because you're skilled, you got the promotion because you have a lot of experience, you got a better job, all of that, you prideful and arrogant. And that's sensuality. You just gotta realize it's all Christ. You know, we come to Jesus. And there ain't nowhere else. There's literally no other religion, there's no other belief or faith system, it's all fault, it's all crap anyway. But in Christ, it's humility. You come to Jesus, accepting that only Jesus can do what you really need him to do. And that's what we're doing. All the rest of it's sensuality. Amazing. Totally open my eyes. Nobody else here was blown away. I totally open my eyes. It's going to change the way I witness from now on.
Alright, let's break this down. Yeah. So, I just, a lot of times when I went to Spiel, from I talk to them, this is what opened my eyes. It gave me a light too, what you're talking about, because a lot of times I tell them, it wants to save you from the wrath that's coming. But I don't let them know that they're under the wrath right now. It's like if we could just articulate those words to them, give them to wake up and make them see that, hey, they're, they're having problems right now. Yeah. And they can pretend like they're not having those problems right now, but they are. Yeah, it's not that they pretend that they're not having the problems. What happens is they pretend that everybody's having the same problems. Okay. That's the issue. So they just say, they might even say something like, well, just luck. Bad luck, man, bad luck. Or they'll say it's karma or, you know, things like that. Yeah. They think everybody has troubles. But not everybody has the same kind of troubles. Believers do not have the same kind of troubles. You know that, right? We mourn, but not as those who have no hope. We are never left alone. I've been in such a dark place before I got saved, where I had suicidal thoughts, uh, cut myself with a knife. We all know before we got saved. And so we go, oh, when I was saved, we just forget? We're just going to forget what it was like before we were saved? No, that's where they are. We have to remember that's where they are. And before, if somebody had come to my house preaching Jesus, I would have sent them away every single time without any doubt. And so we're talking about going to them. So what are they going to do? Most of them are going to send us away. But if they're recognizing, if they can be helped to recognize that they're already under the judgment, already under the punishment, the fact that they're above it, then they might just go, well, you know, you might be right. I see this happen, this happen, this happen. Uh, and if they interpret that, then they'll come to the Lord. Uh, I think. I mean, I hope. So, all right, let's go. Thank you. Appreciate it. Father, I'm just going to lift up a simple prayer to you right now. We're to your word. Uh, we did not dip our toe in. We dove in. You are practically drowned there. But you were with me. You are my lifesaver. I thank you for that. I just ask you now that we would live it out. I know, I thought your Holy Spirit said, that if someone would come and sit under this teaching, we would go to your word and hear it and learn it and maybe know it, quote unquote, know it. We'll walk out of here and not apply it, not do what it is we're supposed to be. If we be hearers and not doers of the word, then we may as well be in some church that doesn't preach the Bible. And I've been in those churches. Some church that doesn't focus on you, some church where you don't show up, some church that's only called church by name and not actually a church. And I don't know how many of them there are, and I don't judge. It's not my place, it's yours. But this much I know. You have given us, you have called us, you set us free. There are people in this room, including myself, who need to live for you in the way of truth, which is the way, the best way, the only way. Don't let anybody ever try to tell me that it's not. I will stand firm. I hope I will stand firm. And I pray, Lord, that we will, as we talk to people, we will see them, we will love them, and help them to understand what freedom is now, what abundant life is now available in Jesus Christ. Not just putting off a dissension into hell, but giving an abundant life today in Christ Jesus. That's in his name, in Jesus' name, the precious name of Jesus, the only name under heaven given among men, among men by which we must be saved. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. No meetings today. Don't forget August 29th. Mark it out on your calendar. Cancel something. Do something. We're coming together. We're going to have a little fun. The scavenger hunt. Bring your phone Bible or your Bible with you. It's going to have some Bible clues in the scavenger hunt. We're just going to have a lot of fun that time at the open house on the 29th. God bless you all.
This is Pastor Dan from New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. If you like this podcast and others like it, in order to see them, like and follow this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please share the podcast with all those around you who may also be blessed and enjoy the podcast and grow in it. Our desire is that people be reaching New Heights in Jesus wherever they are, whatever they're going through. We know that every person is on a journey. And we've all got our struggles and difficulties, and the Lord is leading us to our next step, which is not the same as somebody else's next step. But we can work together to reach the next step for each individual. So won't you join us in spreading the word, share our website, share the podcast. Uh, if you need to give, you can give by texting GIVE to 419-419-0095. If you want to go to our website, you can do it there as well. If you want to uh, mail a check. You can mail a check to 255 Hefner, Toledo, Ohio, 43605. That's 255 Hefner Street, Toledo, Ohio, 43605. And if you want to serve or you're looking at figuring, trying to figure out how to serve right where you're at, please reach out to us and we'll try to help you. Our website does have information on what it would take to become a member of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church. And if you believe that God is leading you to do that, please check what does it take to become a member on our website at churchtoledo.com. You could even join as a member non-resident, meaning you don't even live in the state, but you want to join. You believe God is calling you to be a member of the church, and uh, we can work together to make that a reality. Maybe God will call you to move to Toledo at some time, but in the meantime, you can serve as part of the United right where you are, and then as God leads you to a local church there, we can uh, make the kingdom grow uh, as the Lord leads us both and leads us all. And so God bless you today, and I hope you've grown. In Jesus' name, amen.